our job isn't just the data. You know, if, if we're an analyst, if we're an implementer, we have to be going through the customer experience ourselves. We have to be talking to people. We have to, there's so much more to our job than just using the tool. Welcome to 33 Tangents, a weekly podcast featuring a rotating panel of co-hosts that all work together in the same company, but live in different areas of the world. The discussions cover a wide variety of topics from digital analytics to working remotely to current happenings in business and technology. Our regular day-to-day conversations often go off in various directions, and the goal of this podcast is to share our ideas and find new ways to engage with others. I love the LED lights. I figure at some point in time I'm going to have to shut the door and or let the dog out anyway. So I, might <laughs> uh, I love the LED lights. But yeah, you can see them clear when you stood up, like the green <sighs> yeah, LEDs. I mean... That is nice. Oh, yeah. yeah, like the green. I mean, there's like 300 colors you can pick from. Maybe not quite that many, but there's a ton of colors, but... That, that's the, that color feels good, soothing for me. Is, is it part of like the Philips Hue system or something like that? No, it it's just fil- one of the cheap uh, LED strips that you can get off of Amazon um, for like 20 bucks or something. And it comes with a little remote control where you can configure all the nice. lighting. So yeah, it's just a LED strip with a adhesive backing that you pull and, and put down. Okay. Yeah, because I was looking at, because I've got the Philips Hue system. So like my office light, the bedroom lights, living room lights, all of that set up through that. So, and then I also have it connected via Apple HomeKit to the HomePod. Mm. Actually, we could turn the lights on and off with our watches, my wife and I, um, our phones, all of that. So I've got it all connected there. And I was looking at the LED strips and the LED strips, like the, the starter pack, which gives you like the main strip and then you can add on after that. It's a hundred bucks. Mm. What would you uh, What would you do with it? So originally, so um, our son has a loft bed, and we just put up like little twinkle lights underneath um, because it, you know the way it's set up. Like we set up like a little fort underneath, but um, one of the one of the strings burnt out. So like, oh, like let, let's get the LED strip, and I'm like, for a hundred bucks, I'm not putting it under his bed. I'm going to use that like for like an entertainment center, like you have there with your coffee bar and whatnot to set it up like that. Um, So I found another set of just like little twinkle lights to put up under his bed. But yeah, I was like, Oh yeah, I could put a a, a LED strip or two underneath the bed to light it up that way. And I'm like, yeah, not for a hundred bucks. No. And that's, we did that on my, and I, I'll, I'll find a picture. It looks so super cool. It looks like the bed is floating. Uh, we did mm-hmm. that on my son's bed, but just used like these cheap LEDs um, mm-hmm. strips for again like twenty bucks or something. Um, Neat. Okay, uh, maybe I might look into that. Just the ones that aren't connected to the smart system, and and put those up. Yeah, send me the I mean, ones. Yeah, I mean, try. obviously you don't have like the nicety of using everything all connected through your one app and being mm-hmm. able to do a lot of the automation stuff that you can do with your Philips Hughes. But if it's just like mm-hmm. we want some cool LED lighting and you know, maybe give him the little remote so he can play around and change the colors. Like super simple. Yeah. Yeah. I might, I might go that route then. 
because I do have it. Um, I do have an extra smart plug that I can at least turn them on and off with everything else. Because oh, like yeah, one of the yeah. things I do, I have all of the lights programmed so that at night, like at 1130 at night, I have a routine that runs that makes sure everything is shut off. So just in case, like, we forget to turn lights off, everything shuts off at the end of the night. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, go check those out. You, there are a ton of them on on mm-hmm. uh, Amazon, and they're super easy to uh, set up. Yeah. Um, so where I was hoping to, to pivot into our conversation, but it's just not going to be as smooth. But you know, where I think we can find something related is the idea of customer experience. So recently, you know, the last couple episodes, we talked about uh, conflicts of interest and how that impacts an analytics team. I want to move on to, to a different uh, topic and really focus around um, point analytics um, and, and how that is something where um, I can be extreme as a point analytics is dead, but point analytics is no longer providing the value that, that it used to. Um, you know, we're, we're all familiar with, you know, and I'll be the old get off my lawn guy back in the day where it was like, well, we implemented this tool for this, uh, set of data. We implemented this tool for web analytics. We implemented this tool for voice of the customer. And while you still have the need for those various vendors, cause they all collect data in a very unique way, doing it one off is what's becoming the problem. And, um, basically fragmenting the data. And you were telling me a story last week that I want to use for this particular topic around, um, customer experience breakdowns caused by siloed data, because one of the risks with point analytic solutions is teams working in isolation because due to there being a myopic vision, no one having like a holistic view of what's going on. And then in that case, you have all of these silos of data. And if you have customer experiences that are driven uh, at via different, different points along the way by different bits of data, if you're not careful, you can have customer experience. You know, that, that experience can break down. Or you can even have a situation where everybody along the way is working with just their piece of the data and everything looks successful along the way but it is just a complete and utter failure from the customer's point of view. So I want you to start off by telling a story you were telling me about with um, buying the, the keyboard. Oh my gosh. Okay, I'll, I'll try to be succinct. Um, it, it is such a great story and, and um, props to all involved. It, it ended up being a very positive experience, especially at the local level of making sure things were, were taken care of. But... Um, in the midst of going through it, it was hilariously <laughs> clunky and awkward uh, of an experience. So um, my my youngest son is uh, really into the piano right now. Um, but he, where I'm much more of a, and I don't want to say classically trained pianist, um, I'm much more of a sit down at a classical piano and play sheet music, and that's what I do. Um, for him, he is much more of a hacker, I guess I would call it. Like he, he's definitely into studying, um, theory and he knows the notes, but he wants to, 
He wants to he wants a digital keyboard that he can mess around with voices and most importantly he he wants a MIDI keyboard so he can hook it up to his Mac, pull pull his keyboard uh, creations into GarageBand and mix it and play around with it. So we went to Guitar Center and it was on a holiday Monday and it was insanely busy and we played keyboards for two hours, which was awesome. Um, and he found a keyboard he wanted, but at Guitar Center, at least for the keyboard he wanted, similar to kind of the Apple store, you can't just, the product's not on the floor. Um, you have to get some, you know, you have to get an employee to help go get the product for you. It's either on the floor locked up or it's in the back room. And so um, I, I asked kind of, hey, we need some help. And they're like, oh, it's going to be like 20, 25 minutes before we can get to you. There's so many, you know, there's so many customers in line. Uh, I'm like, all right. So we waited around a half hour, 35 minutes, and they still weren't getting to us. I'm like, all right, let's 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 bail and maybe come back a different day when it isn't so crazy. So the next day I get on uh, the guitarcenter.com website and I see, oh, here's the keyboard. And then it said, you know, put in your zip code and, you know, you could see if there's some buy online pickup in store options. I'm like, well, that will be a lot easier. So I did that, um, put in the keyboard and it said available for pickup today. I'm like, awesome. So I transacted, I, I did my order. Um, and then that was that. I got a confirmation um, that gave me a link or a map to the store and a receipt for the keyboard. And that was it. So um, I show up at, at Guitar Center and they're like, well, we can't find your order. Um, when did you order? I'm like, I don't know, like an hour or so ago. And they're like, well, did you get a, an alert that it was ready? I'm like, they didn't say to wait for an alert. They just said, you know, thank you for your order. Here's a map to the store. Like, oh, no, you got to wait. You got to wait for an alert. And usually it's uh, you're, you'll get a UP, you'll get an alert from UPS. And I said, what? Like, yeah, yeah, you'll get an alert from UPS with a tracking code for the keyboard. I'm like, no, 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 I'm not having it. I didn't do like an online order. I did a buy online pickup in store. I'm like, yeah, 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 we don't. We don't house the products here that you buy online, pick up in store. Um, you buy that and then it has to ship from one of our warehouses or fulfillment centers to the store. And then once we receive it from UPS, then you can come and pick it up in the store. I'm like, well, why wouldn't I just have it shipped to my house? This is really weird. I'm like, but it said available for pickup today. They're like, no, no, no. Like, yeah, it's clunky and sorry, we don't control any of that. But no, like it's probably two or three days for UPS to ship it here. I'm like, but, and then I looked up on a rack that like had behind a cage up on the wall. I'm like, it's that keyboard. And I pointed to, him, I'm like, that's the one I ordered. And I want that one. I'm like, yeah, I, I wish I could sell you that one, but we can't fulfill the, the order that you placed online with inventory we have in the store. We can only fulfill it with inventory from one of our warehouse. I'm like, this is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Like, what are you talking about? Like, yeah, I'm like, okay, well, I want to can't, well, how about we cancel my online order and I just purchased that one. He's like, ah, I would love to do it, but um, that's in another system and we can't cancel it until it's actually been delivered here and the data has been transferred to this new system. And I'm like, oh my gosh, you guys, come on. I'm like, all right, I'll just buy two keyboards and when the other one shows up, I'll cancel it. So ended up buying another of the keyboard from the one in the store. So I ended up with, you know, essentially two keyboards. I waited and sure enough, I got a UPS tracking code later that day, waited three days for it to show up at the store, called them up and said, okay, I need to cancel this order now. And they were really, really good about it. That's a long, fun, entertaining story of saying, now let's look at the data. If I'm, and by the way, they use Adobe. 
Um, so if I'm sitting at Guitar Center and I'm sitting in the web analytics function and I have access to Adobe and someone said, you know, hey, go analyze our Bopis experience, um, it's going to show a sale. And I'm, I guarantee they don't have refunds piped in there. They might. If someone from Guitar Center is listening to this and they're like, oh, no, we can't. We have refunds. You know, you hit me up and tell me. But, you know, it's going to show that I ordered and it's going to show that I picked it up which that's because that's how the system has to market. Um, but it's not going to show that I canceled it. Um, and if you look at their other system, they're going to show two orders because they're going to see the, the Bopis order and they're going to see the order that I, that I purchased in the store. Um, but I think more importantly, because the data is siloed, if I'm just looking at the Adobe data and looking at analyzing the, the buy online pickup and store experience, there's nothing in that data that says, Jason had a really clunky experience. Not only did it say on the site that it was available that day um, when it wasn't, but you know he didn't even ended up ordering that keyboard because it was like three days later, and he could have just sent it to his house. And you know he was really frustrated with the Bopis, you know, system that doesn't show up in the data anywhere. And we're probably analyzing and saying, yeah, our customers are loving it. It's great. So we're missing this. Not only are we potentially you know, misreporting on data, just looking at Adobe from a sales perspective, but we're missing a huge opportunity to identify some really clunky areas of the user experience. You know, where in that data did it show up that it said available same day, so Jason purchased it and it wasn't? You know, where in the data does it show up that he returned the keyboard three days later because he just bought it in the store because, you know, Bopis didn't work? You know, where in the data is it like super clunky to say, you know, we didn't give them expectations or any language that said, hey, you have to wait for an order, you know, an email that says your order is ready. Like, that's missing. That's in other systems. And so if we're looking just at the Adobe data, it's telling a completely different story than the experience that I had. Well, first, let me say, I'm glad to hear that at least it, it was resolved satisfactorily. Yeah. Um, and the local, again, the local store was, was great. Right. And they, they have no control over that. The Bopis experience, you know, it's just, they're plugged into the system and they have to deal with it. So, you know, huge props to them. They, they navigated it um, in a really great way. So where do you think the, biggest breakdown was in the whole process and uh, look at it from both your professional through your professional lens of working with data but then also take that hat off and just be the regular customer like where do you think the biggest breakdown was well there, there's a huge breakdown in how we um organize our our businesses and we see this all the time with all sorts of businesses is I, you know, the people that own guitarcenter.com are probably in like some group called e-commerce or web or, or digital, and that's their purview. And, and they see everything from a digital perspective. And, you know, whether they added this component because of COVID or it was there before because, you know, it to that early to what, 2014, 15, people really started to do buy online, pick up in store that really started to pick up. Um, but it's kind of an afterthought of what that experience is. It's, well, we just we just kind of program that in so you can do it from a web experience perspective, but they're not thinking about what happens when you're not on the web. And we've talked about the importance of the customer experience with your brand as the entirety of the experience, including the shipper. Um, and I think some of the stories I've had is like using, you know, paying for something super expensive and then having it fulfilled by a low end shipper and having a really bad experience with the shipper 
that's part of your brand's experience that you're creating. And so I think that's where the breakdown is for, for something like this is it's the web teams, it's the e-commerce team's responsibility to wire BOPIS or BOPIS or however we're saying it into the website, but that's that's their purview. You know, they have blinders on to the broader experience, both from a data perspective and from a user experience perspective. And so they're not even thinking about, well, what does it mean for Jason off, off of the site fulfilling this order? They're just, they're not thinking about it. They're not evaluated by it. They often have separate leadership, right? So the e-commerce executive leadership is often very different from the leadership for the brick and mortar locations. And so very rarely in these companies do you have centralized leadership that's saying, we need to get both of these as point solutions, right? But we also need to make sure that our customers that are using our mobile app and our website and our brick and mortar have a unified, really great experience. Very, very few companies are doing that well. Chick-fil-A, Target, those are the companies you want to copy because they're doing it amazing. Everyone else, pretty mediocre. And my my feeling is, is when I see these, when I've experienced them, I feel as though those involved with it have never put themselves in the shoe of the customer. Ding, ding, like, ding, ding, ding. <laughs> like, like, actually, let's browse our site. Let's transact on our site. Let's go through the different flows as a customer and and actually feel like what it's like to make one of these purchases. And to, to, to want something like that. And I've seen it where like, no one's concerned that they can't make a test transaction. I've worked with organizations where it's like, well, where's the test credit card or how can I actually reach the order confirmation page? Well, you see, that's, that's the hard part is, you know, if you place this order, it's got to go through here. We got to request this team to cancel it. You got to use a real card. We don't have any company cards to use. So you're going to have to put it on your own card. If we put the transaction through, there's going to be a hold. Like, and even they, you could tell with their voices, like they're frustrated that they can't do it. And it's almost like it is too involved to be able to do it. So even they say, like, no, we can't. We we can't test to actually go through from beginning to end, arriving on the site with you know the desire to purchase something or to go through the actual customer journey all the way through to the end. And in this case, if you're doing buy online, pick up in store. It's the, let me find the store near me. Let me find the item that I want and let me actually purchase it and see what it's like to actually be, be a customer. Yeah. Um, so those that have listened for a long time and those that know me know, I am a huge fan of Disney's theme parks. Um, I go every 18 months, you know, we're already planning our daughter's first trip there. And so, like, I mean, it, it's so much so, like, I, I like the experience there, but also, like, the engineering of it behind it. So, like, they're Imagineers. And I've read books by some of the originals or those that were, like, the second generation. Maybe they were trained by the ones who worked directly with Walt Disney. And those first and second generation Imagineers always talked about how he was always in Disneyland. Mm. Always walking around. Always there. Because... He wanted to be on the ground to see how the customer experience was and actually experiencing it there. And he would insist his team was there, that they were there experiencing it, experiencing the product, you know, um, feeling the customer experience so that when they engineered something, 
that was at the core. Yeah. Not just putting another system in place and, okay, we can send data or we can process this transaction or we can check a box and say we have this feature. So, yeah, a couple important thoughts uh, based on, on what you talked about. So, um, number one, let's just talk about our role working in, in analytics. Um, it doesn't matter if you're an implementer, an architect, uh, an analyst, an, an optimization strategist. Your job isn't to be an expert in and just use the tool. That's, that's part of it. But your job is to really understand the, the business and the entirety of the customer experience. Um, and then that kind of leads into your second point of like experiencing what the customer experiences. Um, and, I, and I had the same thought. I thought, you know, if, if, if any analyst um, had, had actually gone through the process of doing this, um, the buy online, pick up and store process, they would see how clunky it was. I don't think any analyst had ever actually done it. Um, and it's not surprising because I, you know, I've talked to so many people over the years where, you know, I'll have gone through the process and I'll have some insight into the customer experience and I'll ask the analyst, I'm like, have you ever bought a product from your company? I was like, I don't even think I've been on my company's website. <laughs> like, you know, so, you know, our job isn't just the data. You know, if, if we're an analyst, if we're an implementer, we have to be going through the customer experience ourselves. We have to be talking to people. We have to, there's so much more to our job than just using the tool. And I think that that is a, a huge problem and is a detriment to, to what we're, we're trying to do as an industry. To your point around experiencing the park, absolutely. Uh, I think Anytime you can go through the process and, and firsthand understand what it feels like to be a customer, it makes you so much better at your role. With the one asterisk of, you have to go through that experience as a customer. And then I'll give you one example. We worked with a retailer many, many years ago uh, who had a Boppus um, program, uh, and, and it had some rough edges to it. And I asked the question, I'm like, have, have, have any of the, the team actually gone through the BAPAS process and they're like, yeah, we have a, we have a predefined process, you know, and, and at least they had a test credit card. It's like, here's the test credit card. You have to place an order from this store. And, and they had the whole thing prearranged with this one specific location in the city close to the company headquarters. And it worked really smoothly, but it was different from every other experience. And the same for the park. Like if, as a, if I'm a Disney executive and I go to the park to experience it as a guest and I'm treated like a VIP because I'm an executive, I'm missing out on the opportunity to have the experience of that that customer. If you know the same for any of them. If I'm a CEO or I'm and I'm an or I'm an analyst and I want to see what it's like to use our mobile app and then have an offline experience in store, but I'm I'm seen as like not the, you know, I, I need to do the undercover boss approach because if I'm seen as the CEO or the analyst and they know me, they're like, oh, let's make sure they get the best experience and we're missing out on that. So yes, like I think it's so important to put ourselves um, in the shoes of the customer, but we need to make sure we're doing it as the customer. We need to have that experience. And so often, Again, I give these data teams credit. At least they're trying, but they've they've manufactured this QA process of the customer experience so much that the experience that they have looks vastly different than what the everyday customer has. 
Yeah. And I think that's the biggest thing as part of this is anybody who, you know, is familiar with the customer experience, they're going to know that there's massive gaps there, that, 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 that process is going to be prone to, to a bad experience. Cause I mean, for someone like you having that experience, you were like, you know what? It worked out in the end. It was a little frustrating in the middle. There are going to be others that are going to be like, F this, I'm never coming back. Yeah. This was, this was absolutely terrible. And so, um, one of our clients, and, and again, week, if you look at the web data, that doesn't tell that story and that's exactly that's the danger. Right? And that's the thing is people like just living in the office and not getting out of the office and, and experiencing, the 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 product so uh, at one point i took a um i went to a product management uh course and the the guy had a um a, a great acronym um uh, nahito uh nothing interesting happens in the office mm. and it's nice. you know basically get out of get away from your desk get, get out of the office and go see like what your customers are doing you know work with your internal customers to figure out where are their gaps? And believe me, it's easy to fall into the pattern of just, I got to get this stuff done today. And next, you know, a month goes by and you haven't maybe out uh, engaged outside of your little, you know, little realm or like the, the day-to-day tasks you have to do. Um, and so one, one of the things I was going to say is, is um, one of our customers, one of our clients this week got word that one of their main transaction flows is getting replatformed this year. And that team couldn't be happier because they know how frustrating the flow currently is. And like there's been a push to get something done because they they know how bad it is. So they know how confusing it is for for the actual customers. Yeah, yeah. I And, and I think I would like to say, let's look at this not only externally, but internally as well. Um, and yeah, I think we need to prioritize kind of getting out of the office. And I love that, that acronym, um, and putting ourselves in the shoes of the customer and having that experience. Um, we also should be doing that in with our internal customers as well. And I think this is kind of a good continuation of our, uh, previous conversations where we've talked about running an analytics practice, like a business, we have our customers, that are external customers that are buying from our brand. And then as an analytics team, we have our internal customers that are buying from us. So not only do we need to be spending time with the external customers, we need to be spending time with our internal customers as well. And when I ran analytics um, client side, it, it was one of the most valuable things that I did. I would go and sit in the call center for a day and just plug in and listen. I would go sit with our engineers and just watch them and ask questions. Uh, I would go sit with our creative team and UX team and watch uh, what they did. Um, and I think I we I even did that with one of our clients, Hallmark. When we were in Kansas City, we went to uh, one of their partners where they do the the glass, the one-way mirror thing, the two-way mirror thing. Oh, the usability study. They do the usability studies, and we're back in the room when you know with our seats, and we have this whole spread of food, and we're watching it. I'm like, this is so insightful, and I came up with so many ideas for the web data just watching that. So, you know, as as a as a web analytics team, we needed to be thinking about you know putting ourselves in the shoes of both of our customers, our external customers, and our internal customers. Yeah. And that's why um, I do enjoy client visits and we're, 
we're now finally getting back into a position where it's it's easier to go into the office with with clients because I, there were several clients I would visit on a quarterly basis and then COVID put put an end to that. And then it was a slow kind of rebound to, to getting to that. Um, because there's sometimes it's just, don't get me wrong, I love working from home. I love it. I love not going into an office. But it's good to get out and visit those clients because there have been times where I've visited and they've, as part of the tour of the campus, like you get the, the experience of what it's like not just working there, but the experience they want to create for their customers. Now, there, there's a couple. Of, there's a couple of clients that come immediately to mind where the office is is built around um, the experience that mm-hmm. they want to create, and I think it's it's their way of bringing that into the corporate campus to remind people that okay, this is where we're you know our corporate headquarters and the majority of our folks are situated, but. Maybe we have retail locations that are spread throughout the country, or you know, our online presence reaches out reaches our customers in this way. So you need to think about these these things. Yeah, and what's cool about one of our clients is you get to use their product to get to their office to hang out yes. with them, <laughs> which is yes. also that, super that, cool. That, that is that that is part of it. Is yeah. uh, yeah, I, I actually use their product. I've actually been using their product long before I got to work with them. But yes, that that is that is part of it. Is you know, with working with them, is I use their product to get there, and and they they really drive that. They want to make sure that um, everybody who works with them is gets to experience their product. Yeah, and and just as a side note, and I've already planted this seed with one of our clients um, of one of the engagements that I'm I'm driving. Um, I'm like, by the way, you know, you know that we do this full immersion thing and, uh, I'm coming down, uh, to, to Vegas to experience your, your product. Um, and part of it is just an excuse because there's a lot of amazing restaurants in your location, um, that I want to eat at. Uh, but also part of it is that like I, you know, it's, it's one thing to experience the dot com side of it, but it's the entirety of the experience that we need to to understand in order to really provide you uh, the level of services that we want to provide and the and the type of experience that we want to provide you um, as a client. There's there's simply and I agree with you. I, I love working from home as well, but there's simply no substitute for actually going and experiencing the experience. Yeah, um, and I think coming back to like what. what ultimately folks should think about with this topic is with these systems, whether it's Bopis or a store locator or a transaction funnel um, or just promises made on the website when someone lands on, on the website, don't just think about the systems involved as checking a box. Okay, we have this system here that collects this. We have this uh, this system in place that moves the customer from here to here. We have this system in place to make sure that this product is delivered on time. Make sure that they're not just checking the box and they're happening, but that they're actually delivering on the experience promised to the customer. And kind of taking it back to where we started with this story, it was the, hey, buy online and pick up in store today. You know, it's available today. Is it really available? Is it really available? <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. that, that, don't get me, correct me if I'm wrong, that's the promise you were made, that when you looked at that product, you could buy it and pick it up today. 
Yeah. And, and again, I think, you know, that's a good way to kind of pull this back to, to how we started it. If we're not putting ourselves again, I, I think getting out of our data silo is as easy as putting ourselves in the shoes of our customers. And you know, we can fight about how difficult it is internally. It's like, oh, our data is so siloed on our teams. And yeah, I get that. Like navigating the complexity of that political um, landscape internally I, is, is really, really hard. But you know what's not hard? Putting yourselves in the shoes of your customers. Yeah. That's the easiest way I know how to break out of the silo. Um, because once you do that, you your eyes become open to so many things that you're missing if you're just, again, laser focused on digital. Or a lot of companies now are, are thinking about maybe we like super fine tune people and have implementers and analysts, not only just digital, but you're only... You're, you only analyze the booking funnel and you and you over here, you only analyze marketing landing pages. I'm like, I can see what you're trying to do. You're trying to create intimate, in-depth knowledge of that component so you can do really deep analysis, but you're furthering, you're getting yourself further away from the totality of the customer experience and that is scary to me. So like get out, walk away, feel what it feels like to be a customer of your brand that's the easiest way to break down these silos and get out of that trap of just looking again not just a digital but maybe just one component within digital that's a recipe for disaster and we know that ends up in really really clunky awkward user experiences which ends up with lost customers and revenue Cool. Well, let, let's go and wrap it up there. We're going to continue to talk about point solutions over the, the next couple of weeks. Um, and again, I, I want to look at it from, from the what can go wrong perspective, because I think it, it is becoming important and, and ever so you know, more important to make sure that you're not just implementing a one-off solution, because w- one of two things happens. Either you become irrelevant or you negatively impact the customer experience. And it's probably both. Yeah, those probably things both. Happen. Yeah. 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 Cool. All right. So let's go ahead and wrap it up there for this week. And we'll talk to everyone later. See ya. See ya. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of 33 Tangents. If you enjoyed what you heard, please rate and review the show on your favorite podcast aggregator so others can find us. If you would like to reach us, you can do so by emailing podcast at 33sticks.com or on the web at 33tangents.33sticks.com. 33 Tangents is a production of 33 Sticks, an analytics boutique.